Welcome to Game Brain, a podcast about board games and our gaming group. I am Trey Alsop, and I am your host for this episode. Today, I am joined by the man who started it all, the game enthusiast, Mr. Matt Robinson. How you doing, Matt? Hey, Trey. How are you, man? Good to see you and hear you. I'm doing all right. We are here on Sunday evening. It's a late night, a late night Game Brain <laughs> podcast. Is. I am so always tired by the end of the weekends, but invigorated to be talking to you. You call me the game enthusiast. Is that I, wrong? No, I'm just, ha- I don't, I feel like I have, I'm losing that crown at the moment. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I am yeah. so unenthusiastic about board games lately, uh, which is a great way to start a board game podcast. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've like, I will talk about that a bit. I've fallen off the board game wagon a little bit to the point where um, it's lately been like, why do I have all these board games? I have no time. And why did I start a board game podcast? Uh, I, yeah, I just, uh, man, life comes at you pretty fast sometimes. And I've been and very another, busy. And this is another episode of Matthew Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> another episode of Matthew slowly falling out of the board game hobby. But, and by the way, slowly falling out of the board game hobby for me means I still know literally everything that's going on in the board game <laughs> hobby and still buy probably one to two games a month. The uh, <clears throat> that cynical voice of hate that you heard uh, jumping in w- with us that is uh, none other than our game breaker, uh, mega Hollywood movie producer Paul Satachit. Oh, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I can't believe we made it that far without an air horn. I was expecting you to ring in even even sooner. Without no, it's that. been a while. My, own, my only connection to this podcast over the last three months was Paul Satachit, who. Uh, w- had been helping me. Paul and I spent almost every day together this summer because Paul was helping me with research and other things. Uh, and uh, I spent all, I spent every day with Paul. I spent more time, literally, this is not an exaggeration, I spent considerably more time with Paul this summer than my family. And you're still <laughs> friends. I love Paul. Paul's the best. Paul saved my life this summer in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's, that's high praise. High praise. And can for you, me, any also, more detail? I just, it was a very stressful, hardworking summer, and Paul helped make it manageable for me and took some of the, uh, the, the load off my plate. And also, my family was out of town for two months because I shipped them off back east while I, because I had so much work to do. I was like, it's better if you go see your family and uh, the kids can see their grandparents. And so, yeah, he also kept me from just being like a crazy person locked in an office writing 30 hours a day all by myself. So, Thank you, Paul. Uh, no worries, buddy. But like, if I were to reduce what I did, was I basically read Matt's genius going, oh, it's good. We should get some ice cream. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I, by the way, I've lost 10 pounds since Paul stopped coming here every day. That's not a lie. That is legitimately true. I lost 10 pounds in the past month. And it's all Paul gained weight. Because Paul, Paul, Paul has a reward system where he's like, That's great, donut. Yes, Paul, donut. Let's go. <laughs> that was twice a day. <laughs> but it, apparently it worked. I, 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 I yes, pa- Pavlov uh, was right. It works. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I think, Paul, this is the first time we've had you um, back on the show. I know we've talked about it, but I uh, wanted to circle back around and just talk about your movie, uh, Americanish, which had its premiere here in L.A. a few weeks ago. Yeah, any no. Final, was, any final it, pimping you want to do? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, eventually, it'll come out online or a film festival near you. Uh, please go. <laughs> Americanish. <laughs> Americanish. I am just type into Google IMDb Americanish and it will come up and you'll see what what it is all about. This is yeah. round thirteen turn nine. That's and too today much. at some point we should just start over like in like comic books where new, oh, like every thirty game. years they start with a new number one. Oh no, this would be like okay, new game. New game, new game. At some point the numbers get ridiculous. Our, our game that we are reviewing today uh, is the 2021 release of Ankh, Gods of Egypt, from game design neophyte Eric Lang. Mm, an ironic neophyte. Not yes. A... See, if, see if my humor comes across on this podcast. I or, wouldn't risk it. Or, or yeah, like I said, <laughs> don't do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> designer, lauded, award-winning, much beloved by all, iconic. Neophyte. That's, that's what I said, isn't yes. it? Yes. Can't anyone, everyone tell that from my tone? All right, let's, let, let's get to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nobles, South American, all the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. I totally skipped game night there, but let's, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll skip ahead to the, the news, and then we'll circle back to, uh, to, to game night thing, because I don't, I don't want to play any, any sound effects uh, twice. Um, okay, so I think the, the big stuff in the news was that Gen Con happened, and there's all kinds of... Uh, news, or at least like people touch seeing finally what is coming out here at the end of the pandemic. Um, and I, th I think what I would mostly want to point you towards is this uh, fantastic write-up that Candace has done on BGG. So far, it has two parts. I don't know if there will be a third, but um, there'll be a link here in the show notes. But please check out uh, Candace's uh, Gen Con wrap-up, and that's going to include previews of Rift Force, Genotype, Public Market, Six Siege, Fire Tower. Um, and then I especially wanted to spend some time here on Dune, a game of conquest and diplomacy, which I I, I don't know. Like, did we cover? There's the, the so many different out? Dune versions there's so now. Many like, Dune. there's the Portal Dune game. There's the deck building Dune game. There's the Gale Force 9 reprint of Dune. And this is something new. This is what seems like somebody took the basic you know, Gale Force 9 reprint version and did a short version of it? Well, yeah, it's, uh, from what I understand, it's a streamlined revision of the original game. But I think the big difference is going to be that it tops out at four players and it's always the same four factions as opposed to okay. what we're used mm. to is a, I think, what, a six? We like, we, that's, yeah. our, that's one of our games on the list of like six player games. That's mm. the original Dune. And this is going to yeah. be a four. And so I imagine it would be faster. Okay. Sure. L less negotiation, I imagine. That sort of seems like taking the Dune out of Dune, but, you know, I, 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 it could be interesting. It seems like we're getting a lot of Dune games. Yeah, we're getting a lot is, of Dune games. Which is good, but yeah. I haven't loved the the ones I've played so far. Some people do, though. A lot yeah, of people, people really, people really like Dune. the Dune Imperium. Yeah, I we reviewed it, obviously. I was pretty lukewarm on it, but, um, <clears throat> yeah. People, but, people yeah, but there are people that do. I think our own Mike Kananak, uh, loves it. I think Candace mm. loves it, um, mm -hmm. or certainly the like the deck building from it. Um, she she liked the final one on her list 
um, is Burn Cycle from Chip Theory. Do you know anything about? I know you're a Chip Theory fan, Matt. Do you know I, of course, have, I'm all in on the Kickstarter pledge on this, and who knows when we'll get it. But I, I've never not bought a uh, Chip Theory games game, and I, I only play them solo. I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever played one of their games not solo. I think I played too many bones once or twice with multiple people. And I was like, this is a solo game. And I feel the same way about cloud spire. And I'm sure I'll feel the same way about burn cycle. They are, they make lovely, wonderful uh, boxes that stress me out and sit on my shelf and make me realize I spent too much for the amount I've played them. What a review, but I I love them, (laughs) but I do. I genuinely love them. And they just stare at me and make me feel bad about how much I spent compared to the amount of time I've spent playing them. So I know you have played some games with Paul in your in your time together, but yeah. too, too Many Bones is not one of them. That's not something no. that, I, that That's my favorite. I, I do love Too Many Bones a lot. Um, but Burn Cycle looks interesting. It's, you know, I mean, I'm a sucker for uh, cyberpunk, one of my favorite themes. I, I it, it bumps everything up one or two review points for me automatically just based on theme. So um, I'm super excited for them doing their take on cyberpunk. So in, so there's a lot from Gen Con. The other thing I would just wonder real quick, um, a couple of kids. you know anybody that went to Gen Con? Other than Candace, obviously. Candace, I mean, I know uh, of the people that I normally LARP with, I would say about like a quarter of the people who are friends of mine that I, I'm used to LARPing with yeah. at Gen Con. What was, what was the vibe? Did they have fun? Was it a bummer because of COVID? Or like, what, what was the vibe? Uh, the vibe is as much as I can tell was like, were like people were just desperate to game. They were mm-hmm. desperate for their lives to get back going. And I think that they were willing to put up with just about anything, especially because Gen Con can be for I know, you know, for a lot of people like Gen Con is their vacation every year. It's the thing that they save for. Yeah. And then uh you know, I for example have friends that I only see at Gen Con. And so like missing it is a very big deal because there's friends that I only see there. Was um, COVID your main reason for not going this year? Yep. Right. But it's it's also the case um I don't know, you know like when if Tom and I are going to go generally like we're designing something Yeah, you guys work there. there. I've gone with you before and I don't see you at all and it's actually a little bit of a bummer usually to go with you to Gen Con cuz I realize oh I just went to Gen Con alone and I see people at the hotel that night later on. Yeah, and so it, to me it, it just seemed like a big big ball of uncertainty and mm. You know, it's already it's an expensive con, super expensive, um, and so like only seeing some of my friends and doing the whole thing with a mask, um, made made that equation pretty easy this time. You know, that said, like I'm planning on going to BGG con. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you had a con in your future. So you, yeah, that's well, that's in a month. That's right. That's right. Wowza. But it's also the case that like BGG Con, I don't have to design anything for that. Um, and that's, that's in Texas, Dallas. It's in Dallas. It's in Dallas. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And I can. Um, They're doing fine with COVID over there, right? <laughs> Everything's great in Texas right now. There are no problems in Texas whatsoever. Um, but it, it it actually I'm able to kind of do double duty. Um, it's becoming a little bit of tradition for me because I can go to Texas. This sure. is generally the week before Thanksgiving, so I can go. And I can also like see friends and go to my parents' house. Yeah, for you, are, you are a Texan. So, yeah, I am former Texan. Yeah. Texan. 
<laughs> I've been in, I've been in California for many Once many Texan, more years than uh, I live take in the Texas. Boy, out of Texas, but uh, I have I have a piece of news before you jump into those two Kickstarter things. I don't know if you guys mentioned it last week, but did you know that Concordia has a digital edition that's now live on Steam? Trey, lover of Concordia, I think we did. Like I think we may have covered that like three months ago, but it's actually live now. Then it okay. just went live this week. It's, uh, I think like 20 bucks, either 15 bucks or 20 bucks, 20 bucks. Oh, wow. Also on iOS. I didn't even know there. We could be playing, we could be playing Concordia right now. I think I would go for the iOS. Yeah. Well, sure. Version, right. Because like, I think Jennifer this week was like, Hey, they're putting, uh, they're putting a Gaia project, I think on, on either like BGA or TTS. And I was like, well, it's been on steam for half a year now. Um, if we really wanted to play it, it's, it's been there and I've, I've probably gotten in 20 games on steam. If that's on iOS, that would be problematic for me. And great. It it would be a big time suck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Concordia digital edition, nine 99 right now on iPad. Uh, hitting the purchase button. I hope I hope somebody joins me out there. I'm hitting okay, the purchase so I'm button. adding that to the show notes here. Concordia on iOS and through Steam. Yeah, no, that's definitely a buy. I just I'm, hit the purchase button, Trey. I hope you push it and I'm, we can play together. I'll get there, but are you actually going to play? Yeah, I'll play. You're so busy. You're such a busy I mean, guy. It's easier if it's on if it's on my iPad. If you, know. you find like games on iOS on the iPad, that's the yeah. mad formula for ruining your life. And no, yeah, but also like, you know, I, I just I, if I can just check it a few times a day. It's totally doable. I'm still playing um, through the ages on iOS. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's the gold standard for sure. It's really good. It's really good. I'm, you know, I stopped playing for, you know, like three or four months. Yeah. And I and I was bad when I came back. Like, yeah, sure, sure. The AI is pretty good. It can be. You know, yeah. I, I definitely I would say I do. I do not have like playing four player. I would say my win rate is just under 50%. Mm. And you would think like most games, I feel like you can get out ahead of the AI yeah. and you can learn and kind of tricks. wind every time. And it's not true, or at least not for me. I'm still missing something um, about winning it more. Yeah. Great game. Great. Tell game. us about, tell us about what's on Kickstarter. Trey. <laughs> I'll move it along for you. Uh, Matt. The, the, the two, the two kind of things that went live that I really wanted to have people check out right now. Yeah, is uh, Verdant first. So this is the game that's about, you know, houseplants, and, you know, the, the cozy game about house houseplants. And is that this is from the Calico designers. Well, it's it's both the Calico designers and the Point Salad designers. Mm. So like, and I think there's even a fifth person on this. There's five designers on this, but I think it, it is a merging of, of two different teams. And the art is from Beth Sobel, who did Calico. Sure. Also, so you back to this, I saw because I follow you on Kickstarter. I t- yes, I'm, I'm, I, I love houseplants. <laughs> we have we have a lot of houseplants. I, I love how you, you admitted that so like guiltily. Like I love houseplants. <laughs> yeah, Jenny, Jenny has has converted me, and um, I really, you know, I I lived and died by the success of my fig trees this year, and I I will tell you that pruning them in late January did mean that I produced a lot more fruit this year. So I feel like I'm, I'm living a little Uwe Rosenberg game I love where it. I took the action 
in in late January to, yeah. to prune, prune my fig trees, and it did increase the yield. Significantly. That might be one I have to back. I I, I enjoyed calico. It, it 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 definitely has a place in in my collection. I, I mean, it does literally have a place in my collection. The um, other one that I know that you're all over here is uh, is Voidfall. Yeah. So look, I've got two. There are two publishers for whom I will buy anything unless they make a game that just is so out. So like if they make a roll and write or something, I, I don't know if I'd be interested, but mind clash games, the makers of Tricarion and Anachrony uh, and chip theory games that we discussed. Those are the two companies that unless it is so far outside my purview of interest, I insta back without even really reading anything about it. And so, and Voidfall not only is from Mind Clash, but is something I'm very excited about because this is uh, David Turksey uh, and Migel Buckles' sort of version of. You think it's Migel, not not Miguel, or you're you're probably right. I probably uh, messed that up. Maybe uh, I don't know if I did. Yeah, I, I took a run at it. Um, but uh, this is their this is their take on Eclipse. This is their take on 4X. They've said it plays in two hours. They said this is the Euro, the heavy Euro players 4X. Yeah. Um, so all those things just get me excited. And I think uh, the pedigree of design involved in it uh, actually has the possibility of pulling off something so complicated and, and hard to pull off. I'm excited about it. I still want to play Imperial Classics with with you two. Ooh, you guys have played that game. that game, right? And that's the same design team, right? Yeah, I love that game. I played it a ton. Again, I think it's best at two or solo. Uh, it's okay at three. Wouldn't play it again at four. Just too, takes too long. Two, well, two heads down solitaire, multiplayer solitaire, I think to be enjoyable at four. Love it at two. Think it shines at two. Love it at solo. Love it as much at solo as at two. Three players, totally fine, fun, as long as everybody keeps the game moving. Um, yeah, amazing game. Brilliant. I, I, one of my favorites of the year would, is definitely going to be on my top 10 of the year. Paul, did you want to weigh in on Imperial Classics? It's good. <laughs> so not, not, as, not as enthusiastic as Matt or, um, um, has he been winning? I, I, is that, what's the issue? Uh, Matt, I don't think I've ever beat Matt at it. Uh, okay. so maybe, maybe that, that's it. Uh, I think for me, like, uh, it feels, uh, what's the word I want to use? It, it feels like I, I'm never ahead of the curve. I'm never riding the curve or the wave. I'm like getting hit by it, and uh, and I think with the uh, and I, I guess I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> well, it, it's to be fair, it's one of those games that has 16 asymmetrical factions that play completely differently. And the first two or three times you play a faction, you are just trying to figure out how to play that faction. Uh huh. So it's a game where not only are there 16 factions that play utterly differently, but you, you're best to pick one, stick with it for a while before moving on in order to you know enjoy playing that one. Because they all have utterly different, sometimes win conditions, things like that, just like wildly asymmetric, which is uh, uh, something that I always love. And which I do too. To, it's good enough to warrant that kind of replaying replayability to me yeah i mean it's also you know it's a two-player game it's an hour it's fast it's I, th I think it has an addictive gameplay loop it's a civ building game which i always get really excited about um and it has it, it, it's a civ building civ builder deck building game um which are all things i love and it feels it feels it, it's in a way it sort of scratches that lcg uh game of thrones netrunner magic the gathering kind of feel as well um 
and it, it does have that sort of like, I'm going to take my deck against your deck, but, but with some really cool Euro mechanics in there. But people yeah. should play like humans before they move on to Zerg and then because they're not ready for Protoss. Yeah, well, there's two boxes. There's Imperium Legends and Imperium Classics. And Legends is uh, a little more complicated of a box. I think Classics is there's still like, you know, a range of difficult to easy in each box. But the, the range is um, skews a lot more complicated in Legends than in Classics. Okay, so the final thing while we're on uh, Kickstarter mm -hmm. was I just wanted to do a shout out to a great youtube channel that does a series on kickstarter games they have a they do a show i guess every month called back chat and this is the youtube channel thinker themer um really enjoying their videos they do their like top 10 on kickstarter and each one of these is kind of like a mini explainer of the game and a mini review where you get the different points of view of the thinker of the couple and the themer of the of the couple and i've thought it's been really helpful especially if you're if you're into the kickstarter yeah. world um they're they're fantastic and they actually reached out to me sometime in the last year or so and said they enjoyed our podcast a lot too so um maybe they're hearing this which so and at the time i said i was such a fan of theirs as well so um it is a uh, mutual love society i did not know that i i really was just like this is really great yeah, and as um, you should have, they, they are fantastic. <laughs> they're do, they're doing the Kickstarter news better than better than I am. They're so, great. All right, let's get to yeah. Give, give them a, a a a follow or a subscribe on on YouTube for sure. Yes, Thinker definitely. Theater. The link will be in the show notes. But let's talk about our own game night. All right, Paul. All right, me. Yes, we had a we had a game day at Ben's that you were able to attend part of. Yes, and, yes. Uh, because like last night we did Ankh, which is our review game, and uh, Tom and Mike had Imperial Struggle. But before that, we played at Ben's house. We had Not Alone. Wait, wait, wait. They, they played a two-player game at game night? We only had six people. Oh, how interesting. Okay. <laughs> and so normally, yes, we would split into three versus three, but we needed yeah, to play a four-person Ankh. We had yeah. to. So that's why it happened. And we will talk about that. And we'll talk we will, about that. We will talk about that. But we, uh, we had a really good uh, game day. I wanted to talk about this game, Not Alone. Um, Paul, you, did you enjoy Not Alone? Do you want to give a description of what it is? Sure. Basically, uh, one person is a monster. And everyone else, you have crash landed on this monster's planet. And uh, you have to go to various locations to try to... I guess get off the planet or like, you know, not, which is like we're hanging like out that. for a rescue before we're being assimilated by this alien. Is this a Ben game? Maybe. No. I... Who, who, it, yeah, that's who a tough one. Ben game, that's a tough yeah. one. Ben likes all kinds of different games and trying to find consistency can be hard. No, but it's I mean, is ben this game. a game? This is his game. This is his game. Yes, we were yeah, at yeah, his yeah. house, and this is yeah. part of his library. I see. Got it. Okay. And I would say, like this game, it is not a social deduction game where there's like hidden roles, but it is like a social narrative game in which we have five people playing against one, and it ends up kind of creating a lot of the same. Um, I would say like emotional, social, social moments, the way a yeah. good game of Avalon will. Well, you know, inspire. Like, ultimately, it, the game, you know, like, you go to various... Everyone goes to a location. The monster then picks a location, and then you reveal where you went, and the monster reveals where it went. You know, and, and if and if the monster is where you are, congratulations. You just got hit, and that's going to cost you something, whether it be health or whatever. 
and if the, the monster does this enough times, uh, your whole team loses. Uh, the thing that makes it interesting is like uh, the monster has uh, some various powers that augment its powers, and you have some powers. Hard card uh, driven powers where it's hard exactly. to anticipate what curveball the monster's going to throw at you every turn. And you have some powers that can mitigate those things. So uh, it's a uh, like you know the monster is more powerful, uh, but collectively you guys may be able to fend off the monster long enough to win. And yeah, uh, what? Than... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say like what really is great is like ultimately you're across you know like you're across the table from the monster, and you put down your card, and the monster you know that person playing the monster has to divine what you played. So and, and and that's what and that's the crux of the game. You know, it doesn't matter if he uh, he or she guesses right. It matters if like if if that can with with the augmentation of their powers can affect you guys. So it's uh it, yeah, it's, full, it's full of these like iocane powder moments of like there's something that looks like Paul needs to do this thing, but the but Paul knows that the monster knows that he needs to do this thing and so it, it it's it's a simultaneous like multiplayer did you do the thing I'm going to do? And the monster's kind of like pursuing this on multiple fronts at the same time. Uh, I, I just, I was surprised because I had not heard of this and I, I, had, I had a very good time uh, playing it. So for like people that want that social experience out of games like Avalon or Secret Hitler, but are not, don't actually like enjoy the lying part of it or the, I have to play a bad person, you know, part of the game, this might be, this might hit a lot of the beats and eliminate the negatives for some people yeah. to, to check ben it out. Ben seems to always, uh, he has a penchant for finding these games that we've never heard of that are, are fun. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a couple years old. It's not a, it's not a 2016, new yeah. Oh, so it's more than a couple of years old. Uh, we, we also played uh, Bonanza, which uh, I'm a little ashamed to admit, despite being a huge Uwe Rosenberg fan, it was actually like the first time I had played a complete game of, of Bonanza. And yeah. uh, I thought it was pretty, pretty great. At the same time, I felt like, oh, this game could just totally die with certain players because it was so social. Like the, mm -hmm. just, like, the trading was really freewheeling. Yeah. It was almost Bonanza's like, a, sure. you know... Um, Paul, did you end up winning that, or or no? You did poorly, or no? I had done very adequately, and I was in the <laughs> I was in the uh, running for winning, and then uh, two people made a trade, and uh, that trade was uh, made it so that I came in second. Uh, and, uh, and and I think that was the problem because like uh, it went, it didn't the uh, the turning did not go completely around, right? We ran out of cards, right? Which and is running out weird. of cards. And so, like, they had an extra, uh, and so, so yay for them, good job. Uh, it, I, I call it a memory lane game where you go like, oh, I remember how this was so fresh and new when mm -hmm. it first came out. You know, like, like, I, and I can play that as long as I keep that perspective. You know, like, I go like, oh, like, you know, this is not going to be perfect by our today's standards, but by, but by the standards of back then, this was cutting edge. Uh, sure. And I and I and I and I feel like you know it's really. For such a simple rule set, it has a lot of uh, it has a lot of depth. Yeah, so what, so what I was really the, what was the we've talked about the appetizers. What was the entree of your game day? Well, I, I left at that point because I had to go do stuff. You just showed but, up for uh, some fillers. I showed up for some, but they were good fillers. Okay. 
Well, this was oh. also, I think, what Ben had his friend Guy uh, attend, the legendary Guy. And so, and Guy had been dying to play Chaos in the Old World, Eric Lang. Ooh. Wow, this is an know, Eric Lang week. Figures, figures on a map. Um, and so that's been a, that's a, that's going to be a nice comparison to Ankh. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, had you ever also, played that before? I think I had played that once before. I have a copy of it, and I had played oh. it once before. Like I think when it was released. And I had immediately decided this is not my jam mm. and had never played it again. It's one of the first games I ever bought after Battlestar Galactica. It was probably one of the first three or four games I ever purchased. And I remember when you start, you, you, there was a point where you kept on wanting to play it and we never mm-hmm. did. And then mm-hmm. I, you sold it, right? It's how yeah. You- I, oh, yeah, definitely. I sold it probably 10 years ago. But, but I, I owned it for a while, a couple of years at least. I, I got my plays out of it. I, I played it a good amount. The uh, the game the the other game that we played that I really uh, liked a lot I you know um is is Key to the City London I'd have I've had such a strange relationship with Keyflower where I think when I first played Keyflower I really did not like it I think it was, was back at the period where Paul was dominating the games with his one dimensional meeple growth strategy, strategy. thank um, you thank you thank you. Uh- <laughs> But I did like I finally like you know kind of turned the corner and figured out I feel like uh, how to play that game more more competitively and I just kind of like really started to appreciate its design. Uh, key to the, Key to the City London is much prettier. Like the artwork is much I think much nicer than Key Flower. It's got beautiful London monuments. It's really pretty much the same game except for they've just streamlined. Keyflower and kind of taken out the actual like tracking of resources and replaced it with these kind of like uh, net infrastructure networks or whatever that is linking your city together. Um, right. But like these are they, these are good games and I still love that kind of you know bidding slash taking an action on an action tile uh, system that Keyflower has and so it was it was nice to play this this little variation and this is certainly a much better looking game than than the first mm-hmm. key flower yeah and then there's the final uh note um i in during the week this week i got to play imperial steam with uh, jennifer and candace and uh you know i think we'll have a review coming up for that in a in a couple of weeks did with, you play it physically or on tv physically yes okay. I went over to uh, Candace's, Candace's place, and we played in her kitchen on her. Well, very you, you gave such a glowing review of it that I went out and bought it blind, well, pre-ordered it blind. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself because, like, we didn't, we did not finish the game. But what I played, I really liked. How how long is the game? Yeah, I you know it's one of these things where, like, the box probably says it says two hours. Exactly. Yeah, it says no. one twenty. Not true. No, no Ooh. chance. No chance. Uh, that's, With but, three, then you couldn't pull it off. No, no, no. We played four. Uh, oh, okay. We we did have we did have a fourth, um, but and I even and I, after I played the game, I was having a very hard time kind of identifying like, oh, what was the neat, unique thing that this one did that other games didn't do that haven't done, and I was having a hard time kind of like identifying it, but. The, here, here, here's my pitch for Imperial Steam. To me, this is the train game that feels the most like a Euro game that I have that I have ever played. Uh, it does it. 
it doesn't do the things that kind of annoy me about 18xx the little i know about 18xx you know it does have <laughs> stocks but you're not trading other people's stocks so there's no stock man manipulation uh it has root building but the root building is not brutal and exclusive uh in mm -hmm. the same way that others are um it has a lot of different racing in that you're racing to certain to link certain parts of this austrian network uh it's possible that everyone loses the game in this so this is a game we're definitely we're definitely gonna have to play with paul uh because <laughs> if if no one makes it to trieste by the end of the game uh then none of the good none of these contracts get delivered and it's just considered that everyone loses whereas mm -hmm. if one person does link to trieste all the other players uh who haven't completed the link are required to link through the person through. who linked who linked to get there in order to deliver their contract so there can be a lot of points in that um but this was i think the thing that was rich about it was just oh there's so many different ways to play this game um that it just felt like it had a lot of possibility and and so it did have that same feeling matt of like when i first played concordia where not concordia excuse me uh gallerist gallerist and i felt like oh neat game but i also see like there's five or six different ways mm -hmm. to play this game that are going to require some study but they, but that it's clear that they're there you know right. um that it's worth pursuing so i had a very positive first impression we'll see if it holds up it's very glowingly oh. i mean you you, uh, you i'm just gonna say you threw out game of the year i said me. possible game I, I well i mean i haven't heard you say any other possibles game of the year so far this year well, fair, fair, yeah. fair. Oh, there was also one other game that we played at okay. Friday game night, which was uh, Wavelength. And uh, <laughs> it, it was... <laughs> it I know was, where you're uh, going with uh, this. No, no, uh, so, like, uh, it was uh, Dimitri, uh, Trey, and myself versus Tom, uh, Mike Kananak, and, um, ben. And, and Ben. Ben. And, uh, and this, this is how it started off. Tom, Tom's to go, and it goes like good investment, bad investment, you know. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then Tom takes like maybe about a whole minute thinking about, hmm, what should this be? And then he goes, commemorative plates, Franklin Mint, Franklin Mint commemorative plates, <laughs> and then uh, like, uh, and then it did not go the way Tom thought it would go. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Ben and Mike both said, "What's that?" Uh, and they go like, "Well, they could be a good investment if dot 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 dot." And like, basically, Trey, my completely is cheating and makes a big face, and, like to the point where I have to go, Tom, you need to turn around now. <laughs> turn away from the board with your faces. But, but that was uh, that that was uh, that was the highlight of that game night. Yeah. I think cool. I had a, um, not, not that there was like some big thought here, but it did come down to like these games that are working on the like light, you know, like the games that we really like that are like light fillers. I think the common element is this aspect of like having to put yourself in someone else's head. Mm -hmm. like, that, yep. like that's why these, these games work even with like super simple mechanisms. You know, when you, when you play, um, love letter you're putting yourself in in other people's heads when you're playing um code names 
you know, you're absolutely having like I think that seemed that is kind of like the magical thing for these 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 light fillers that really take off is that social aspect of like have to think about what the other person's thinking. And it made me wonder like, oh, is that the secret sauce? You know, whenever you're making uh, a game like those. And, yeah. and you just gave it away, Trey. You just gave it away. <laughs> and we'll be talking about a lot of great fillers today in our discussion of player elimination. All right. Well, let's get to games. Did, we even, did you tee up our topic today? No. Okay. We'll get there. Would you would you like to do it right now? No, I'm just you have so much faith in our listeners just to stick with any topic. This is not faith in the listeners. <laughs> this is lack of of proper preparation by the host. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll, I'll do this and then I'll edit in back in the beginning. And in our member in our member segment today, we will we will be discussing player elimination. Yeah, and uh, what we like about it, or when when we think it's used correctly, if it's ever used correctly, uh, interesting uses of it, and of course how it of course ties into our review game Onk, which also has a uh, a level of player elimination in it. That was really great, Matt. Have you considered hosting this <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I think our yes. topic just changed from player elimination to host elimination. Yes. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> Should we jump into games on the brain? Yes, thank you for making a natural segue, as a host should. You're welcome. Matt, what what games are on your brain? Uh, well, Imperial Steam, which you you put in my head, is something I'm very excited about, and I've uh, right now my my main form of game playing is reading rule books at night before I go to bed. Uh, they just released the uh, new rule. I get excited about rule book releases. They just released the final rule books for Mind Clash's game that's coming out, uh, you know, Q1 2022, fingers crossed, depending on um, uh, transportation from China. But that is uh, Perseverance Castaway Chronicles 1 and 2, which I have played an early version of last year. Um, and absolutely loved. Think it's a really interesting uh, worker placement game from Mind Clash. Um, and That's dinosaurs, I, right? Yeah, this is the. Di it's basically Jurassic Park, but it's split into two different games. Yep, yep. There's like when you first get to the island, and then when you've built a whole uh, community on the island, and you can play the game separately. There is a bit of a narrative link between them, but there doesn't need to be. I just love the idea that there's two games in this one game, and they're you know, once you know the mechanics of one, you can quickly be taught the other. It's a little bit like two different Age of Steam maps in a way that use the same mechanics. Um, but I really like that in a heavy Euro. Um, but anyway, I've been reading those rule books, really excited for that. I'm sure it's going to get pushed again to quarter two or quarter three because uh, it is a nightmare out there. And I'm going to use this opportunity to tell people out there who are listening, be really, really kind to the people who are making games, especially on Kickstarter right now. Mm. Don't, don't ask them when the game's coming more than once. Don't denigrate them in the Kickstarter comments. It is a horrible time to be in game production right now and a much worse time to have your games trapped 7,000 miles away while you're in a nine-month queue for a cargo shipping container to put your games on. Um, you know, when some of these cargo containers have much more important things that need to be loaded on them ahead of your, you know, 
disposable income entertainment. So be really kind to these people. They're stressed out. They're probably losing money as they're having to spend more because shipping right. costs have gone up. So I, I've, I've just noticed some people in Kickstarter comments just being really unkind and just have, you know, like, these are human beings who make these games, guys. This, these are not major corporations. This isn't Google. You know, Mind Clash Games is like, I don't know, 20 people maybe at most. Like, just yeah, everybody's I'd be surprised cool. if it was that many, even. Yeah, like, guys, there's these people are struggling right now and they're probably losing money just trying to get your game. So, and they're going to be late and they're going to be later than you even think they're going to be late right now. And just prepare yourself for that. This is the time when some people may be learning for the first time that Kickstarter is not just a pre-order system. Yeah. And, 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 and also that we have a global pandemic and your games aren't the priority to get on the cargo ships. I do wonder, I was, I was listening to, um, I think another podcast that was talking about this very issue of shipping and getting games around the world. And I do wonder whether there will now be some kind of correction because the hobby has become so dependent upon production in China. It may and, no longer be cheaper to do it in China. You are correct. Yeah. I mean, we'll I think we out. should expect our prices to go up, but it might also 100%. end up, you know, I would hope that in the end we would might start seeing some games actually uh, manufactured in the United States, more games manufactured yeah. in Europe. Um, hundred dollar board games are not going to be the fancy, expensive Kickstarter exclusive versions of games anymore, and and and, and that's just what not, it not is. Dunk. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not trying to say it's good or bad. I, it prices a lot of people out of the hobby, but that's just the reality of what's going to be happening. Um, yeah. Paul, what games are on your brain? Well, actually, like you know, speaking of creating your own game and. I, I've been noodling, like, you know, Candace is creating her own game, right? And, like, you know, and you are the Age game left. designer. Candace's uh, rock and roll band game, yes. Oh, that's awesome. I was thinking about, huh, what if we made a, a game brain game? where And I don't exactly know what it'd be, but I would say that, like, all the hosts would have asymmetric powers in a card or something like that, and something. So if uh, anyone out there has an idea of what the game should be, Throw up a comment. So, so you have an idea for a game and you're asking other people to design it for you. I have no idea for a game aside from like, <laughs> yeah. from no, like sounds like you do. Powers. You have uh, a design challenge for our viewer. You don't have a game idea. You have you <laughs> just want like what game could we be characters in? Exactly. Exactly. Cause because I I feel like we are all very different game style players and very and our interactions are pretty interesting. I'd like to uh, gamify that, like game board, and see what it looks like. I don't know what game best does that. I, I assume it's going to be a filler because I can't imagine it could be people Kanban and 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 you're the person forcing other people to do labor for you. Uh, that you know, capitalism, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was going to be more like based upon who who we actually are. In which case, it, I was going to remind people, you know, to remember what Matt just said and to be kind. <laughs> in your consideration of the things that you said this. <laughs> right, yeah, so that, that's on my brain like you know I, i'm excited to play candace's game uh i, yeah, I heard absolutely. i hear good things about it uh and and yeah so uh so it's gonna be very interesting i'm, I'm excited what's yeah, on I've, your brain trey i've played it i think ben has played it i oh, think wow. uh, she's that far impressed. along yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's far along, and she's like, she's got an excellent prototype on on tabletop simulator. She's able to whip out, um, you know, physical prototypes that she's you know pitching to publishers now. Like Candace is, 
Canvas is a cool. machine and the game is changing quickly too. And that's hard because like, that's a, an issue I've had where like I over prototype mm. and then it, that becomes a, a weight that keeps it from pivoting, but mm -hmm, she seems to sure. be uh, pivoting really fast. And um, she was also showing me the different tech she's using to generate her cards and putting that on tabletop simulator really quickly. So like, of course, even though what Candace feels like she, Played her first four board game like four years ago. She's already a master of of making making board games and That's awesome. continues to impress. Okay, so what's on my brain? This I should be in Oslo right now. That's what's on my brain is that uh, this was the week where I was supposed to go to Oslo for Nutpunkt 2021, which is a um, a LARP international LARP design conference, mm -hmm. um, and Norway is not letting Americans in. It's not just Americans, it is others, but I, I think uh, at least that means a, a lot of Americans couldn't go, I couldn't go, and tomorrow was supposed to be the EduLARP mini-conference as part of the Week in Oslo program um, that I was going to attend and present at, but I am still, I am still presenting, I'm presenting remotely oh, cool. uh, at 6 a.m. this morning, the conference, <laughs> I'll be, I will be up at 3.30 this morning, our time oh, wow. to to attend uh, the conference. That's exciting. So there, there won't be much sleep for me tonight. Yeah. But that's so edularps are what are what are on my brain right now. Oh, that's awesome. I hope cool. that goes well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I I made a video, so I I, I mostly have to like play the video and then do Q right. and and people cool. can tell me what I'm wrong about. Sure, and they will. Let's get to our review. Ankh's Gods of Ankh, God, Gods of Egypt. This is an Eric Lang game for two to five players. Uh, according to BGG, it plays best at two. I think we'll come back to that little point in a second. Uh, 90 minute playing time, age 14 and up, weight 3.0. Um, artists Nicholas Fructus, Thierry Masson, and Adrian Smith. And the publisher is, come on games do we say come on or simon i'd say simon but some people say come on or not but it's not they don't say it's yeah. cool or not anymore i say simon the game lists eight different sculptors sure. for the incredibly beautiful massive figures right. that are and rightly are so rightly so so this is the final game in eric lang's um sort of historical miniature I, I think he actually has a name for this trilogy that i'm, I'm not remembering at the moment but they, this is his you know, sort of um, folklore, sort of historical, uh, big minis on a map kind of game. So the first one, the very famous Blood Rage, took the board, board gaming world by storm. We played a ton of it when it first came out. We had never knocked any of our socks off, but we, I think we had some really fun games. I definitely feel like I got my money's worth out of it and then sold it. Uh, Rising Sun was actually a game that was gifted to me by Tom. Um, we played it, I think twice. I don't even think Tom ever played it. I bounced pretty hard off of that one. It just felt like a version of game of Thrones or it just, it just didn't, it, there's a, di a diplomacy thing going on that just felt not fun to me. I just, I bounced pretty hard off of it. And then, uh, Ankh is the third one. Um, and uh, I will just say right now, it's my favorite of the three, which may be damning with faint praise, but it is definitely my favorite of the three and, and probably the only one in the three that I, I will keep in my collection. Um, 
But yeah, let's get into it, Trey. You want to tell us a little bit about the game? Sure. So in this game, you are playing an Egyptian god. And one of the strengths of the game is that, especially with the expansion, there's what, like over a different dozen different gods you can play. There are 12 if you have all the expansions, I believe. Yes, that's right. So like these gods are all going to share kind of like a common tech tree, but they will all have one asymmetrical power that will make them play very, very differently. And in this game, ultimately, you're kind of racing to grow your devotion, which is a way of saying victory points. But that's that's not it's still a, a you know, figures on a map game, which means that we're going to place figures on the maps. We're going to move them around. We can generate more of them. We can increase our tech. These are like the four different actions, including something called like gain followers, which is gain money or gain the resources that you have to spend in order to to do things. But then they're going to like fight on the map and we're going to score different regions at these kind of like benchmarks in the course of the game progressing. That's like the simple version of yeah, I, I would say I, I like the theme of this the theme you know the theme comes across it's very simple it's you are playing a god vying for followers to to be a powerful god in uh you know ancient Egypt and to not be forgotten by their followers and you're vying to be the most popular god um and your your devotion track is how popular you are and you can win instantly by getting to the end of the devotion track meaning your god just becomes you know, permanently beloved. Um, or if you fall too far behind, uh, you actually disappear and either are eliminated and forgotten by the people. And that's the player elimination we'll get into. Or the two lowest gods at a certain point of the game often merge to become one, which feels thematic to me because often there are, you know, less known religions that sort of combine their followers if they're close enough in their belief systems in order to, you know, stay relevant and alive. Um, so I kind of, I liked that theme. It, it felt simple. It, it came across and for a game that I, I'm going to argue is basically an abstract. Um, I did feel like the theme was, was fun. Yeah, no, the theme is really good, especially in like the, the figures that come with the game, uh, you know, like, Getting you know doing Kickstarter games that have come with a bunch of minis is not my jam, but yeah. like this game almost could convert me because the sculpts are. I still I can't believe these are in a board game. They're both yeah. really large. They're incredibly detailed. The artist work on them is just exceptional. It makes me want to start painting minis again Ooh. that I haven't done since I was twelve. Um, you could just take this game and put it on a shelf with and the th figures. There's not, there's not a butt ton of them either. Like a lot of these games have this miniature bloat that's just absurd. And I mean, there's ten thousand miniatures. This this one feels manageable. There's you've got your one giant god, which is like six to ten inches tall. I mean, the thing is massive. And then you've got like a little baggie of you know your your warriors basically, which are all the same sculpts. And that's really it. That's all you've got. One giant guy and six little guys. <laughs> So, you know, it's not like you have this giant army splayed out in front of you with, you know, dip the, the tanks and the gunners and the, you know, the healers. Right. And, you know, these some of these games have so many ridiculous things in there. And the other the only other minis of the game are the Guardians, which there's only three of in a game. And, and you know, you choose those randomly. So I, I kind of like that it's yes, this is a big Simon mini game, but it felt um, it felt reserved compared to most of their games. 
Well, each of those figures, like in in the math of the game, and I can see why you're kind of calling it an abstract. Like in the math of the game, each of these figures is just strength one, right? You know, and it has that kind of basic level math. But I, I do think that you're kind of selling short the minis in the game. For one thing, it does come like your version with the expansion and Kickstarter extras is like two big boxes. Yeah, but those guardians that you mentioned. Yes, there will only be three kinds of guardians in each game, but there's like 24 different kinds that could actually mm -hmm. be in the game at the time. And some of these minis rival the size of the gods in terms of their board presence as well. And so like, I'm still like just deeply uh, impre impressed isn't really, just like it's beyond my belief that they did all of this. Yeah. But I also know that that's like, that's what a lot of players want. Um, is is that and like and it was fun it, it I, I found myself going over and looking at the different guardians and thinking like what does this thing do and uh in, engaging with it on that level like as far as like the board itself i'm not sure is so beautiful it's more functional yeah but it's, if you did have this game like as we talked about like board presence um if you were playing this at a convention you would get a lot of stop and look at what you're totally. doing from people from people walking by well it's funny because the board to me looks like a canizia board um and it's the same part of the world that many of you know the doctor's games take place in like tigris and euphrates or yellow and yangtze or babylonia right. um and it's a and to me i i went and looked at those other boards I, to me the art is an homage to those boards it's a little bland it's a little abstract looking it doesn't pop the way modern boards do. I, 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 I don't, it's I've tried to find super some functional though, like hundred percent. Yeah. But I, I really believe this is Eric Lang's homage to Knizia and, and I'm not the first person to say it. A lot of people have talked about it on BGG. I haven't yet found an interview where Eric actually says this is his nod to Knizia. But to me, this is 100% Eric's homage to, you know, at least the, you know, uh, the, uh, the Nile, you know, Egypt's location uh, abstracts that Knizia is, is pretty famous for. So the thing you, you touched on it already, the thing though, that is going to distinguish this game from uh, his other games. And, and I would probably include, like you were kind of talking about this being like the last of a trilogy. Uh, to me, I don't, I'm not sure like the difference you would make between these games and uh, chaos in the old world. Um, I don't know how I haven't. I still haven't played Cthulhu. Death may die, but that's another kind of figures on a map game. I from think Eric that's Lang. more of a dungeon crawler, if I'm not mistaken. But I could be wrong. I do not think that's right. Okay, I, I too, I too uh, could be wrong. But the I'm thing that's going to make this this game unique, though, is that player elimination is a possibility, um, and also this this merge mechanism. And yeah. uh, we kind of touched on that a little bit before, but essentially there's a timer in this game that, you know, it kind of that's, that cannot be avoided. That's going to advance the progress of the game based upon players taking an action, which will trigger the second board of where special events happen. Um, right. As each player takes an action, when an action, you're actually moving a little indicator down a track. And when that thing, it, it reaches the end of the track, it will end that player's turn and they will perform an event on this kind of time board that usually means take control of a monument, but it can also mean something like uh, build a caravan, which is going to divide the map in an interesting way, or it's going to be start a conflict phase. Or, or, or put build a, or control a monument, which is really big too. Right. 
I think I said that. I said that oh, in the in the game. Know. There's monuments. The, the, the nomenclature always threw me off because like there's monuments and then there's three kinds of monuments. There's pyramids, right. obelisks, and temples, and they're kind of the same. But there's some there's some special powers can be unlocked yeah. via the tech tree that like a pyramid's going to play differently than an obelisk because an obelisk will allow your figures to teleport around the map to fight in multiple maps, whereas the pyramids will allow you to do a bigger summon when you do a summon creature action. Normally, you can only summon one, but if you you can if you have pyramids on the map then you can summon a creature at every at every pyramid and then the temples are things that can give you big strength bonuses if your figures are next yep. to them when it comes to combat um but this ticker this kind of clock that can cannot be denied in the game is right there for everyone to see and we can see that after i think it's like the third conflict there's going to be a merge in the three player mm -hmm. game in the two player game there's no merge in the three player game second and third are going to merge and in the four-player game, third and fourth are going to merge. And there's kind of there's some some rules in which the third and fourth player come together. They give up taking two actions a turn, and they each only start taking one. But they merge their god powers so that you now have both of the god powers acti activating uh, at the same time, or when uh, when a player plays. Um, and you both kind of like lose and gain from that exchange, but you are more powerful collectively after this merge than you were before so it's but, but you take the lower player's score yeah so yeah, I, mean, I mean you literally this is i've never seen this in a game and, and i know uh, that this is like one of the things that eric lang was most excited about in this game and this is definitely like the big weird different thing about this game mm -hmm. is that at some point in in any player count that's not two two players are going to be playing a cooperative game together after having been playing a you know a PVP game the whole time. They are going to be joining up and winning or losing as a team, which I have never seen happen before in a game and is immediately rubs people wrong, as you can <laughs> see on BGG. And just like, well, great. Now e people either believe that then they become too powerful and win or that they're, that they're so far behind that it's demoralizing for the player who was not in last to a second to last, who now has to have the last player's score. But to that, I would just say, I think the whole game's built around this. And if you're allowing the last player to get so far be behind in score, then you have not really been playing Ankh because you should realize that the merge is a thing in this game and not just if somebody, a weird thing that's going to happen and then someone should pull out the rule book and explain it to you. You should know everything about the merge on turn one and be planning for it the entire game, no matter if you're involved in the merge or not. Because by the way, if the merged players are very close in score to the other player who does not merge, that player is in trouble. Yeah. So everybody has to be thinking about the merge from the entire turn. And I think that's how it was designed. And I think that's the point of the game is that this is not just a weird little rule, but the whole game is based around the tension of the merge, how it's going to affect the game and how people are going to handle it. Whether or not, people enjoy that is up to discussion, but I don't think what's up to discussion is whether or not you are playing correctly if you are not constantly thinking about the merge. I think you are playing incorrectly if you are not. Yeah, the that's that's what happened when the, the three of us played a game. Um, I think Paul had a greater understanding of the game and he, just, just to kind of like make, to, to kind of maybe throw around some terms here to, to kind of get to what we're talking about. Paul understood the horse race aspect of this, right? Like horse race as a, almost like a mechanism term means that sometimes you need to like pull the reins back 
so that you're in the right position going into that final turn so that you can draft off of that player that's in front of you and win the horse race like this is uh, the this horse race mechanism is certainly present in a lot of games that have direct conflict where like it's very bad idea to be out front it it exists in games um like power grid where given the nature of the uh turn order of that game like being out in front and actually like winning going into the final stretch can be a very bad idea in terms of your the opportunities that you have but i I think you're absolutely right matt that like that's an essential part of this game in order to play it properly and it made me think of uh although we haven't played this in years it made me think of battlestar galactica where um you know there's a midpoint in that game where there's a second uh phase where you're dealt another loyalty card and you might find out halfway through the game that you in fact are a Cylon. And so what ideal play may be in that game is rather than, Hey, I'm a human and I should be doing everything I can to be the best human I can be. Proper play might be, I need to keep this thing close because I don't know whether I'm really going to be a silent, silent yeah. or human. So what I really want to be is set up so that once I know who I am for sure in the second half, I've marshaled my resources so that I can do the most about it. And I think so like the term I would use for this is the pivot. I think both this game and Battlestar Galactica have this moment where the game changes. And I think that what that may be what's painful to some people who are playing this is that they think they're playing their, uh, you know, figures on a map engine builder game where they're linking their tech and acting efficiently. And then they painfully learn, Oh, that's not actually the game I'm playing at all. And I, and so in a sense, I've been playing the wrong game all, all along. And I, I and I think that is an, that's an emotional experience. Yeah. Um, and I think you also like, there are certain players who are going to, like that and appreciate that and want to play that game and then there's others who are are not going to find that uh at all interesting they're going to feel like oh i'm kind of wasting my time in the first half of Mm -hmm. of the game because we are seeing um listen this game is getting a lot of good ratings on bg but they are split and it's a love it or hate it game yeah or at least a, a like it or hate it game well, you know, like, uh, so we played two, uh, Matt and I have played two, uh, the three of us have played three, and uh, on Friday we played four. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it plays to five, in, which we haven't played at, but we've played all the other player games. Uh, and playing at three, I think we stepped away immediately going, oh, this is OP. You know, like, the merge is OP uh, at three. Uh, well, it was uh, OP so, in the game state we had, wherein it was close. Yeah, it was, yeah, I think I, in a three-player game, it was tight going into yeah. If it's if it's tight going into the merge, the merged players are going to dominate pretty easily. Uh, I think. And uh, and so at four, I think I went in with the same thought process. Like the merge is OP, and it turns out that Ben won. You know, he took the lead, I, uh, and he just won. Not even using his like god power once. He just he just played like it, it was it was really interesting. Did he, he win played, on uh, like a? He got to the top of the track or it timed yeah. out. Uh, he got to the top of the track. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he he just positioned his stuff better. He got an early bountiful, which is basically helps you add an extra uh, a point to your devotion. 
and it was really interesting to see. And I and I merged with Dimitri uh, at the end, and at the end it was like Ben winning and maybe six steps away, Trey, myself, and Dimitri tied. Mm. So, so like you know, I, I went out, you know, I left that game, and I, I started thinking about it. I go like, you know, I think. I think this is a very well-designed game in a way that like, you know, I think it just requires more plays than you would think for a, a game of this sort. I think like if, if you go in thinking like to me, uh, you know, I think blood rage, but, but really I think game of Thrones, uh, it, it feels like game of Thrones to me. Cause like, you know, you have your, your people on a map and then you play your card and then that winds up doing something. Uh, and if you like, if you like Game of Thrones, uh, I, you know, I think you're going to wind up liking this one if you give it the space that it needs. Because it is, you know, that pivot is is very instrumental. You know, like you can't it, play this like Risk. And, and, and the great thing about the pivot is, at least from our experience, is that if you don't like the pivot, the game is over in two rounds. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it ends very quickly after that because, like, uh, your people are already close to winning, or generally, and now everyone's power is just amplified. So if you don't, if you don't like the pivot, you know, try to avoid. I mean, <laughs> yeah. don't worry; it'll all be over soon. Well, and, right. and I would say so. The game comes with a scenario book. There's the basic scenario, which is all we've played, and then there are a lot of different sort of Age of Steam variants, which are different. The game has a set map uh, creation, sort of like. Uh, Twilight Struggle, how it starts with a, 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 a game. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A uh, The map is built in a certain way where the pieces, tell, they tell you where to go. You place them on the board and then you start, just like Twilight Struggle. And in mm -hmm. fact, I'm, the more I think about Twilight Struggle, the more I realize there are similarities. Like the scoring is actually quite similar to Twilight Struggle as well, where it's like you get a certain amount of points for how much better you're doing than the other person, things like that. So, I know there's a little Twilight Struggle there. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, Where was you I were going? saying how... We could, while you're thinking of it, I could point out, like, we haven't fully explained the game. You know, your comparison to Game of Thrones, Paul, it does have a combat resolution system that is straight out of Game of Thrones, if you're familiar with the Fantasy Flight Game of Thrones game, in which you're, you're going to go into a fight with kind of like a, a base strength, and then you're going to play a card which can modify that strength by a significant amount, plus there's often there's a special power associated with the card that you play, and then you don't get to play that card again until you've played a card that, uh, you know, kind of Concordia style allows you to take the cards yeah. uh, back into your hand. I think I, I was that, talking about scenarios, by the way. That, oh, that's scenarios, was, yeah. yeah. So there, there's a bunch of different variants for the game, um, and we've only played the basic ones, but there is a scenario that without the merge at every player count. So if you want to play a game without the merge at three, four, five, there is a map that is balanced for that. There are maps that start you with different, you know, powers, and they're, 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 you know, there's a lot of variability here. But so we've only played the base game, just so if anybody's wondering exactly what version there are, there are merge-free games, and th those could be interesting. But um, but yeah, Trey, go ahead. No, the the, the thing is, is I think the the merge in this game is very interesting. I think it also exists because it has to. I th because I think if you just kind of like, if this game was just there and you played it straight, um, especially given the way some of our games are going, you could easily find yourself 
just kind of like at the midway point and just being out of it yeah. and you're checking out. Yeah. And I think that that's the number two criticism that I've heard both from people that I've played with in person and from listening to other reviews is that, you know, some people are checking out, especially if you're not winning. I don't know if it's like, you know, we're taking too long to get back around, but like the game is super engine-y and like things can go wrong early on and you can be trailing and the, the merge allows you to still have a shot. Right. And that's yeah. like, that's the, pr and that's, what's interesting that it actually, in addition to the merge, because when we talk about player elimination, it isn't just that you get that there's the merge and like, now you're not doing what you're doing before. There's then a step after that in the next conflict phase in which if you are not, you know, out of the quote unquote red part of the devotion track, which is what about like two thirds of the pathway mm -hmm. up, if you've sure. not made progress enough, then there's just a straight up your cut. Um, yeah, which don't is waste, don't waste anybody's time. Yeah, that's everybody, by the way, could be in that red zone. Could be, and, and if and if everybody's in that red zone, atheism conquers Egypt, and everybody loses, and that's the end <laughs> of the game. Which I, I I would be surprised if anybody ever had that happen, unless it, it was like everybody's first game or something. Well, other than like I, to me, that looks like the kind of thing that came out of gameplay that yeah. like people were not. Maybe focused, en focused enough on actually like scoring points as opposed yeah. to like building their engine. And yeah, yeah. this is a way of the game saying like, no, 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 you got to score points. Like the name yeah. of the game is devotion uh, in the end. Yeah. If you're not pushing the devotion That's track, point. I'm going to cut you. Uh, I, I think I think if I were, if I put myself in the game designer's shoes, that neophyte, as you described it, Trey, I, I think what happens is like, if you put the merge in, like then there is this race for the bottom. So that you know, yep. if you think that you're going, you're going. Oh well, I I should merge, and then I can like really jump up. And so what happens there is now, if the the uh, the third conflict, the uh, if you're in the red, you're out. Is probably to prevent that, to prevent right. and, like everyone. And that happens, and and the cut happens right after the merge. So it's like you it's better like, be pretty high up on that track when that merge happens, or else you know you're going to be in trouble. That's right. And Paul, in, in your in our four player game on Friday night, you and Dimitri made it out of the 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 kill zone, but like it, you had to make some choices to make sure that happened, right? Maybe even suboptimal <laughs> ones for like your long. If if Ben wasn't so in, you know quick to win it anyway, but you guys had to to get some kind of immediate points to get out of that death zone. I think uh, right. Yeah, there there was. I had a choice of basically. Uh, it, well, we had a choice of should we start the battle now or should we go and get another uh, another power, you mm -hmm. know? And and ultimately, we I, I I made the argument, hey, we should go go to the battle now because positionally people are not in an optimal situation. And Dimitri was going, oh well, hey, uh, if we go uh, if we go later, we'll get more for bang for our buck. Uh, so that, that, that wound up being the decision point and it was Dimitri's turn. And at least the way I saw it, I go like, oh, Ben's going to win this round anyway. If we do it my way, I think Dimitri's isn't going to work either, but it's his turn. So we should see it. Uh, and, and there is this aspect where I, I could have slowed down Ben, uh, at the cost of, uh, of my game. And even then it was, he was still one, like, you know, two turns down like two two right, that might have there. like been in danger of king making me uh, yeah yeah if, and, if, and so if you had done that so like let, let me make an observation and, and, and 
the when we played a three player game and there was the merge, the two of you were very much on the same page, and it seemed like your partnership, like that was actually a pleasant thing after the merge, mm-hmm. where you the two of you could kind of brainstorm. And also, I think having played the game now, the degree of control that the merge team has in the three player game is very strong compared to the four-player game. And I would guess some over the five-player game as well, because you're able to exert control over the action board such that you were just going to take over my temples in the rest mm-hmm. of Not temples, I mean monuments in yeah. the rest of the game. But also, like, you, you guys had a friendly... Uh, you were on the same wavelength as far as playing the game at that time. Uh, Paul and Dimitri were not. And part of this was that Dimitri had not played it before. And also, like, Paul, I, I, it seemed to me, Paul, that I was watching you um, consciously refuse to be an alpha gamer and that you wanted Dimitri to, to play his game, even though you yeah. knew better at that moment. You were, you know, you, you, you two now are essentially play, playing the, like, it's like having two hands on a steering wheel. And you know, like, you just have to hold, you just have to keep a loose grip. And let him drive, or else you you were just gonna crash, and you kind of knew you were gonna crash anyway. But that didn't that didn't seem like a necessarily pleasant or fun experience for you. It, it's or, interesting or because Dimitri, maybe like I I do feel like w- rather than say it's a three player four player thing as far as the merge, I think it comes down to turn order. If the person, if oh. you and the person next to you are uh, like you know merge, then you have two actions in a row. That is very strong. The difference between the four-player games, like you were in between me and Dimitri, <laughs> got it, and, and that and that wound up like causing other considerations. So, it's a, so it's just, I think that's a, a fun thing to take into consideration, though, as well. Like you, I think you 100%. have to take that. You have to be thinking about well, I, I if I'm merging, it's got to be with someone to my left or my right, and not the person and, across and, the table. Hundred percent. And I was and I was advocating for Trey to merge with me. Yeah. But he kept on like but he kept on moving forward. He and that's actually fun because then the rest of the table is not wanting anyone adjacent to you to merge. And I, yeah. there's some cool stuff going on there. <laughs> no, I, uh, I was pigheaded um, in both games. In yes, yes. in having no patience for the horse racing at all that I should have been engaging with. Yeah. Uh, and and in, so, in one you came in last. In the in the second one you came in co last. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But, no, but like, I'm, it, I'm not good. Uh, but look, my my favorite moment, by the way, of the night was when you turned to me and you go like, "I just don't think I'm good at with at figures on a board game." And I go, "Trey, I, I, you're 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 doing a lot better than me." And then you go, "Yeah, but I feel like you know what's going on. I'm just I'm just, I'm just moving pieces." And I thought I just it was just so the way you, you had said you, it. Was you had made so, the point, Paul, that you were like. I just have decided on my strategy and I am devoted to it. And I thought I had decided on a strategy early on and it was just completely thwarted, but that's, that's getting away from getting away yeah, from yeah. this. Um, but uh, to, to go to your point about unpleasant, I think it can be unpleasant if you guys, if you're merging with someone who has a different view of, of, of what you're, you're wanting to do. Like it, it's very important to have, the idea of like here is how we are going to win, because if you if you go in different directions, you're you're just you're just two halves of a guy that's that really doesn't have that much power. Yeah, and, and so uh, but you know 
this uh, game does I, require I a high level of almost like meta knowledge, right? Yeah. Like the stuff that Paul's talking about of like things you should be considering when you play that you get after three plays. Like, yeah, there's so there is a, you know, a higher skill ceiling of things that you need to appreciate. And some of those things might be like, I need to be really concerned about that player in fourth place. Like, I can't just think that they're, you know, hey, he's not doing well or he or she's not doing well. And I don't have to worry about that. It's like, no, that's a potential partner. Like we need to be you like this game should be very social where you need to make sure that no one's falling too far behind because that could be your your fate in the game. Like like more than any other game that I've played or like I'm overstating, but like more than most games, like to play this game at a at a high level, everyone needs to be at the same understanding. So because, uh, for example, like in, in our yeah. particular game, Dimitri played a way that was not optimal for uh, for himself or if it was, we were going to merge. He had the ability yeah. to create spawn points, but we would require him to lose battles. He chose not to lose battles and played a more traditional right. uh, w- way. And, and although it did give him one really big scoring uh, round, it... It it didn't it didn't take into account that like eventually like you know it's going to be I wouldn't say disastrous but it would be not it it wasn't a long term solution for yeah. for his game. This is a and similar. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no I, I'm done. No, I'm just. There is a similar thing also. Like I think I think your point about people needing to be at a certain baseline of of experience to play the game is also true in that I think like a an inexperienced player can ruin the game for other players in the same way that an inexperienced player playing Agricola can ruin the game by like overtaking start player. Mm-hmm. Like if you're to right. the left sure. of a new player in Agricola and they take mm-hmm. start player, I mean, you're to the right of a, of a, a player in Agricola and they take start turn every turn, like you're not going to have a good game. And I think that the, the game can in a sense be thrown if a new player is not actually being very careful about what actions they select and they keep on setting up the player that follows them to grab temples. You know, that's, that's definitely a risk if people are not actively like coordinating to almost like spread these benefits out and make sure that it's not always one person that gets, that gets these, these benefits. Yeah. Let's, uh, should we move into our final thoughts on it? Yeah, sure. Um, So to me, this, I, I've actually, you know, I, I've had a bit of a, a, a Eric Langassance in the last year, I feel like, right? I was pretty much like, I'm, I don't think he designs games that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I, I've played two games of his in the last year that I, I enjoyed so much more than I thought he would, than I would. And I, they're both really simple games. I, I really like his Marvel United uh, system. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's X-Men United coming out this year that I, I backed on Kickstarter. It's And I don't like, this is somebody who actively dislikes co-op games. And I really enjoy the simplicity of that game. It's a game I could teach you in five minutes. But I think what, what I like that Eric Lang does so well is plug and play rules. A really simple system I can teach you in five minutes. And then every game, we plug in different rules to it. And they come in the form of pieces that you put on the board that each have asymmetrical rules. So in in Ankh, it's here's the four gods we're playing with. That totally changes the game state. 
but the rules are the same and very simple. Then we add in three guardians that are going to totally change potential rules and the game state, but the game is very simple. And then we see how those simple rules change the experience of playing it and make it really feel fresh and different every time. Marvel uh, United has the exact same thing where it's, I could teach you, I, I, Marvel United, I could teach you the game in under a minute. And then it just comes down to the villain we're fighting and the characters we're playing and the locations we're at that make the game feel totally different every time. And I, I'm really sort of, as somebody who's entering their like 12th year in this hobby, I'm really appreciating the complexity that a brilliant designer can bring out of simplicity and taking very simple pieces that anyone can understand and are rock solid and not necessarily innovative, but just very simple board game mechanics and creating something that feels exciting and interesting and innovative in the way that they find ways to mine new interactions within those simple me mechanics. And I think he's done that interestingly in Ankh, and I think he's done that really interestingly in Marvel United. Um, and I like that. I, to me, this is a, a game that I've enjoyed most at two-player, which mm -hmm. uh, doesn't bode well for the merge mechanic. But pa Paul and I probably played five, six games of this at two. This is, to me, I enjoy it in the same way I enjoy Babylonia or Tigris and Euphrates. It's like put a pot of coffee on. Let's play a more interesting game than chess. But that still has that sort of chess. I go, you go, I go, you go pull and pull, you know, pull and push. You went here, I'm going to go here. Tactical, semi-strategic, and really fun to see how it unfolds. And it's very fast and thinky. Um, that, to me, is what this game is. It, it does not shine to me at three or four and five, although I'm very impressed by what he's done with the merge mechanic. And I think that it, there's some really smart stuff there. I think at that level of time and interaction, I'd probably rather play something else. Paul? Well, uh... I think if you're a figures on a map person and you like, I, I'll use Game of Thrones again. Mm -hmm. uh, you should give this a shot. It, this uh, the merge mechanic is innovative, uh, and I think you, if you gave it the if you give it the space, I think uh, it will enrich uh, your uh, your play. That said, this merge mechanic is not going to convert you. You know, if if you're not a figurine on a on a map person. Don't don't bother. You can play it to, for an experience, but I don't think that this is going to go. Oh, now I understand what uh, a player like you know figurines on a map is going to supposed to be. It's it is not that. This is just a uh, a, a new twist, not twist even, or a, a new mechanic to add to. It's an, an iteration. It's an iteration that, that's, that's on an, on an yeah, established form. Yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm I'm with you 100% on this. And like so you know my priors coming in on this are that uh well I mean I totally agree with Matt that you know, Eric Lang is a pro. I mean he's a professional and he devises these kind of great systems uh and 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 makes these games. It's also my priors are this is not my thing. This is not my thing at all. You know I I I did not like <laughs> Blood Rage. I did not particularly like uh, Chaos in the Old World. Um, I don't like other uh, figures on a maps games. And this one didn't change my mind. So, you know, listening in, you know, know yourself. If you like Blood Rage, you should 100% play this, this game and you might find the merge to be fascinating. Um, I think, though, I can't. I mean, I'm. I want to applaud designers that take chances and do new things, and that's absolutely what Eric Lang did here. But 
I do, in my mind, this feels like a failed experiment, um, especially because of the emotional component of the merge did not work for me. It was a big checkout. I, it hasn't it hasn't produced the good upside to these things that I think we want to see in games. I, I, I it's I've only seen the downside, and I I think I have a, like a feeling about this game the way we we felt after playing Seafall, where you know like there's some really interesting things about Seafall, but ultimately it it didn't work, and I found myself checking out out of kind of like frustration over some very experimental, interesting things that were being done in that game, mm-hmm. but also just were like emotionally pushed me away from caring about the game, and I think that that un- that unfortunately is what the merge is doing for me here is that it's emotionally. A disconnect. It's emotionally re- removing me from the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Some people love it, though. So know, know <laughs> thyself. Uh, and you know, if if you've liked these games in the past, you, you might think that you know this could very well be the game for you. There's a lot of really positive things about it. Yeah, I'm. I I, I went as somebody who was a little checked out on Eric Lang in general this year, and now it's went back to like. I'm very interested in anything he does once again. Um, yeah, I, 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 like, I like what he's doing. Doesn't necessarily mean that these are games that will end up on my top 10 of the year, but I, I really appreciate what he's doing. All right, well, let us transition then from, from this particular game with player elimination to the actual subject of, of player elimination. And... Um, you know, this is player elimination is a thing that mostly doesn't exist in modern uh, board games. This is kind of a mechanism, kind of like roll to move that um, people look down their nose at, and maybe with good reason. There's good reasons to, not to do this for more serious games. But, you know, when we were growing up, we certainly played a lot of games with player elimination. Risk and, and Monopoly. Risk and Monopoly, and now we don't. You have some. What do you, do you have? Some thoughts, Matt, about why that yeah. is. So I, I, I'm a, I'm actually a fan of player elimination. I, I like big drama in my board games, uh-huh. and I like huge stakes. I like the threat of feeling like I could be out of the game night. <laughs> I, I think that's fun and dramatic and exciting. Would I enjoy being out of a four-hour game 30 minutes in? Absolutely not. And would I ever play a game like that? 100% no. So it's it's all about finding where that threshold is to you. Am I okay being eliminated from a four-hour game with an hour left to play? Yeah. If, I, if it was really tense and exciting up until that point, I'm cool with that. I'm not cool with it an hour in and there's three hours left and now I'm going to go get lunch or go home. No, I'm not cool with that. So to me, it has a place. Like the main one I think about is Age of Steam. So you guys house ruled out player elimination. I didn't even know Age of Steam had player elimination. That's not, for... quite, right. That's not quite right. Okay. But with the house rule, just, just for reference, the house rule was is what we allowed, uh, what do we call them, like charity chairs, Paul, uh, emergency, 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 shares. emergency shares, which are like a less efficient version of taking shares at the beginning of the turn. Whereas the actual rule in the game is if you're short on money, you go backward, you actually issue a share at like a dollar to get right. it. So it's, and if it's you hit zero, you're out of the game. 
Well, it is still the rule in Age of Steam that you can only issue 15 shares. And if you cannot, and if you run out of money or you can't operate at that point, you can't pay the interest on your loans at that point, then you're actually eliminated. Right. Which, I, so we can not, absolutely house, happen yeah. early on in Age of Steam. Yeah. We haven't house ruled out elimination, but we have we house ruled something that made elimination far less likely. Right. And I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't prefer that. I actually like. I mean, if we're gonna play a mean, mean game with huge consequences, let's play the mean game with huge consequences without uh, training wheels. You know, and that's how it feels to me. So, you know, and I, I like that tension. And I think, I, I mean, and even if I'm on the other end of it, you know, it agency can be a long game. That can be brutal. But I think to put that safety net underneath it. I don't know, takes out some of the giggliness to me of Age of Steam of like just how cruel and dramatic and, you know, there's very few games that that make you feel you're doing this high wire act with no safety net. And I and I enjoy that. Um, there are other games that have player elimination that that are long games that I also think are, Eclipse has player elimination. I mean, mm -hmm. you you can be wiped out of Eclipse that could that but that rarely will happen early in the game. That's a late game thing. That's a, you know, right. you're, that's going to happen. There's not going to be more than an hour left of that game for the most part in Eclipse. And I think uh, that's fine. Uh, I like uh, that threat. Go I ahead, know. I, I've, been I've been eliminated like mid-game really? <laughs> in Eclipse. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that is a feel-bad experience. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. Yeah, well, yeah no, uh, it's canon. It's, um, it's canon in our group. <laughs> I mean, you know, Wiz War famously has uh, yeah. a, a player elimination. I And I enjoyed in that. I think actually... Yeah, actually murdering a wizard is funny. And, you know, it's like it, those stakes are big. And that game is total chaos bomb, but somehow it's fun. Diplomacy has uh, player elimination. and and But, you know, that's well, fine if you're playing over email. Diplomacy is actually like the best example of what you're talking about where you can be out in 30 minutes, too. Because right. yeah. you, can you can lose that game on turn one. Yeah. You know, you're playing Turkey and Russia opens to the Black Sea and you didn't defend that properly, it's it's game over. Now, the thing is, is like as much as uh, player elimination may be out of fashion or out of style, to me, there's things worse than player elimination. And that's like player prison. You know, player yeah. prison when oh, you're, yeah. you're stuck in a game and you would much prefer to be allowed to just quit or die. Food chain magnet. And leave or fold. You know, like I'm always kind of saying, like, I would like to fold at this yeah. point and let's move on to the, the next game. That doesn't work in multiplayer games yeah. a lot of times. But getting trapped in a game is much worse than being being eliminated. And I do. Yeah, there, there are many splatter games where you are eliminated but the game is making you play for you're four out of hours. competition. Yeah, you are. You well, have zero and, chance of winning. And you're you're and, and doing it. Go ahead, Paul. I say like all 18xx games are that way. <laughs> well, no, because 18xx actually has a fail safe for this. Because in 18xx, if someone goes bankrupt, the game is over. Not not all of them. Well, not all many, of them, many. Of them. That is the basic rule. Uh, I, unless the, I'm mistaken, I'm I'm almost positive. But 1830 uh, like, rules are: if somebody goes bankrupt, the game ends, and whoever has the most money wins. I think there's there's something that's even maybe called like the Garfield rule, which is something that comes out of what Richard Garfield. Or maybe I'm getting the designer wrong here. But the idea is in a game that you know players will continue to care and pay attention and have fun as long as they think. They have a sure. chance of winning. Sure. And 
like that is when you're, you're in player prison, when you know you have no chance of winning and that's a major checkout and, yeah. and rightly so you should, you should be moving on to another game. And I think that this is a positive thing about modern games is that I think that any designer should be considering this question of like, Hey, I may not have player elimination, but am I creating situations where I can have player prisons? And if, if that is the case, I need to make sure I don't do that. I need to put something yeah. in the game like emerge, you know, that addresses that. So I don't have people in player prison. And I, th I think that that's what, Ankh does is it's it's not it's addressing the the player prison question and then player elimination is still there as a way of kind of lighting a fire and and kind of like producing certain gameplay but it's also the case that like if you get knocked out in Ankh you do not have long to wait before everyone will be joining you in the next game because right. it's at the end and I think that's pointing towards like maybe like one of the rules that we would come up to of like if you're gonna do player elimination you know, how, how should it work? And generally yeah. that one of those rules is, well, if you're going to do player elimination, it should probably happen late. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I would much rather be eliminated from a game than have to keep playing it and know I'm going to lose. And, and like, it's not because I don't like losing. It's because it, it's often puts you in a horrible king-making position too, or, or just wasting everyone's time. And you don't want, you're, you know, it's not fun to be in last place. You know you have no chance. I'm not talking about fighting for second. I'm talking about being in dead last. I, I can get behind fighting for second. It's hard to just be in dead last, know you have two hours left, know that on your turn, you should really just not overthink it, which also isn't fun because you're not, you're not trying your best anymore because you, everybody knows that you should just get on with your turn. You're aware of the AP of it. But I also, that to me is, I would much rather be eliminated and, and, and go take a walk. But I also, I really hate a forced catch-up mechanism too. That right. to me makes it no fun to be in first place. You know, that's sort of the, the Mario Kart blue shell theory. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you're in first, you're just going to get hit by blue shells. Like that's not fun. Like then what's the point of being in first? Then it just becomes a race to second and, you know, make sure somebody else is bashing the leader. So the, the player elimination to me is a more elegant response to either one of those situations. But there's also different forms of player elimination. I was actually looking at my collection, thinking of some games that have player elimination that aren't technically player elimination. Every co-op, especially dungeon crawlers, has a rule where if one player in the party is wiped, that doesn't end the mission. Mm -hmm. It's only when everyone is wiped. So you'll often have, you know, in a, a descent or gloomhaven situation where, you know, five people at the table, three of them have died to, you know, orc attacks. And there's still two players left trying to, you know, spend an hour and a half fighting off, you know, an endless sea of zombies they're never going to be able to take down. And everyone has to sit there and they're like, no, we have a chance. And everyone's like, no, you don't. And they, you still have to watch for like two hours as they like roll dice and do their combat moves and you, and then you like, can we just start the mission again? Like we failed guys. Like, no, we didn't. That's not fun to me. And then t like tapestry actually has an interesting form of player elimination where, uh, and, and I, and this also happens in um, Everdale uh, where people are playing at their own pace. There's no set rounds and you can actually finish the game ahead of other players and huh. do your whole score and be done. <laughs> and the other players can have an hour left of playing to do because they've 
on a different route or are playing better or what that's also that's player elimination <laughs> like you're you're out you've won like you've finished you've completed you've finished the sat test and you know nobody else has put their pencils down and you've realized that your score sucks because the people who are playing for another hour probably did something better than you yeah <laughs> uh but that also is totally player elimination to me you're just like you've finished early and you've lost good job it certainly so, just, feels that way yeah, you brought up the example uh, uh, of. Um, let me let me finish, and then we'll go. What you, Paul? I just you you mentioned Wizwar, and I think like Wizwar um, is a way like that's yeah that's an older game, I, and I don't know how well it would hold up to modern play now. I've I've certainly played it hundreds of times back in college with with Tom, and it was often a ton of fun. Um, but one of the things that made it fun was because it had like this hit point system, like you at the end of the game were often on a razor's edge between you know, victory and total defeat, you know, you can win with one hit point or that person can hit you with a, someone can hit you from across the map with a small rock and, you know, grab victory, you know, at the, at the last second. And that's very dramatic and exciting when, when that, when that happens, like that's a glorious player elimination, right? Is the knockout. Like that's the other side of elimination is the knockout. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, like, you know, it's it's like you said earlier with, with Ankh. Like, you know, it's a know-yourself thing, right? Because not everyone is wanting to uh, play uh, a game that as, as high stakes as, as Matt purports to say that he, he, he enjoys. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, because there, there are people in our group who, who want to, who want to, you know, just stay in it. Like, you know, like that's, I think that's a hallmark of, of modern board games, right? Like, where you want kind of like photo finish or, and, and if you have to put a headwind on that or like a, or like a, a, a ketchup mechanism, whatever you do, like what you're really wanting is that, is that close photo finish. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like for me, like uh, the, the real thing that uh, I hate is a game prison with people gaslighting you saying, Oh no, you can make it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that, that, that's the worst. That, that That's the worst because not only am I going to go, not not only uh, not only am I going to lose, but my friends are lying to me too. They're horrible. <laughs> but yeah, that... um, one interesting place that we find player elimination a lot, and and we like to think of it as like you know a, a hallmark of the past. But many of our favorite filler games make player elimination the, the 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 main course of the meal, as opposed to just like a weird little oddity like love letter skull. Those games don't work without player elimination. They are built around one at a time. We're slowly going to knock each other out till there's one person standing. Werewolf, bang, they both like fall into that category. Yeah, Secret like, Hitler, it is, it is what Coup, yeah. Red 7. All these games are, a lot of card games are built around that too, about, you know, the last person standing, the last person in the trick, you know, like there's, there's a lot of games that, you know, that we still play. So obviously we are totally fine with player elimination in, if the game is 10 minutes long and, you know, it's just, okay, the next round, next round, next round, nobody has a problem with it there. It really just comes down to how long you have until everybody else is in your game state being not in the game. I think all those games you just mentioned, though, the ones that we actually play, this, that our yeah. group plays, are the shorties. Like, yeah. we're, not, we're not playing those longer, like, we don't play Werewolves. Those. We don't play werewolf. We don't play coup. Yeah, we would rather play Avalon than than, yeah. than coup. But yes, we will absolutely play. And Avalon has werewolf. no player elimination. 
No, but like, but that's, but like Avalon, Coup was billed as kind of like yeah. an Avalon adjacent game from sure, the same publisher. Sure. And I think, is it the same designer or something? But yeah, it has Secret, Hi- Secret Hitler has it. And I know we have our feelings about the mechanics and the theme of Secret Hitler, but Secret Hitler has a thing where, you know, you get to assassinate who you think is Hitler or, you know, kill them. And that player is just out. And, and not only are they out, they can't talk. They, that's in the game rules. They have to stay silent for the rest of the game because they can't say, well, you killed the wrong person or you killed the right person. They have to sit, sit there stone faced, which is you know, a, giving fascist nothing that's away. a fascist rule. Can we, yeah. uh, 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 to be fair, to be fair, like, you know, you, if, if they kill Hitler, the game's over. Right. So, like, well, they have all, to say all that. you know, uh, all you know is that you missed. <laughs> you missed. <laughs> but I will say that that is usually my favorite moment in the game when, like, that, you know, that that's a tense, fun thing. And even that person sitting there, you know, having to stay stumm, uh, I'm using German on person, purpose there, uh, the entire time, um, you know, with the, with the poker face on, is all, it just makes everybody giggle. But, like, you know, this, this is where we talk about, like, when is uh, player elimination okay, right? And and ultimately, like at, like in Ankh, you know, uh, if it's at the end of the game, where and the way you eloquently put it, Trey, when when the, everyone's game state is going to catch up to you in a in a reasonable amount of time, it's totally fine. Yeah, love letter. It's like you know, like oh, okay, well, I, I, I you're you're out. It's okay. Give it like twelve cards, and you and you know, it, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. Keep it short. And uh, have it at the end would be like my two guidelines there. But you should be also be thinking about uh, making sure your games don't create player prisons. Because like that would be the wrong takeaway from like don't have player elimination is actually like sentencing someone to a bad experience that they have to stick around for in order to be good sports. The more we talk about player emulation, the more I realize well, you game, des- game design is really hard <laughs> and very impressive when people are able to pull out games where everybody feels like they have a chance until the end. It's almost a miracle that, that people are smart enough to figure out how to make games that, that give you that experience. It's very impressive to me. All right. Do we want to do a little real quick semi-game sommelier here? Go for it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with Mama, Madame, Abu? You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Grigola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. All right, Michael Panzer writes, Not a sommelier question. Well, Michael, we're reading it anyway. Not a sommelier question, just a note after listening to the most recent episode about fresh fish with Paul and Tom, as a German living in Minnesota and owner of number 167 of the original Frisch, <laughs> Frisch Fish, I couldn't help but chuckle about the English translation calling the classic rules, quote, pretentious, end quote. The German rules use Ensprachvoll. I'm going to spell this so people, A-N-S-P-R-U-C-H-S-V-O-L-L, which I would translate as demanding or maybe challenging. Not as funny, but perhaps more accurate. Thanks for the episode. Well, uh, uh, thank you. And uh, I think that that's an actual, very true translation. Although, for Tom and myself... (laughs) 
I think pretentious is the more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> that describes your your actual performance in the game, your actual. Right. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to speak for Tom, but I am. So, but yes, I, I I think that yes, I think uh, the more challenging, the demanding is actually the, the better way of describing it. I just was. I'm always happy for the opportunity to uh, correct Tom here. Yep, yep. On on the episode. <laughs> All right. Well, guys. In this case. Go ahead. Go ahead. I say in this, in this case, like for reading what was printed. Well, reading was. I know it's not the biggest gotcha. <laughs> it's not the biggest gotcha. But I don't know. It was just um, pretentious. Pretend. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, guys, well, gentlemen, always yeah, yeah, a you, pleasure. <laughs> you got always go. a pleasure chatting with you <laughs> getting guys. Late, getting late here with Matt. <laughs> no, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm. 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 It's always good to have. Uh, both of you individually, but uh, this felt nice and natural. Um, this more, this is actually more like what I think our game nights are. The these type of, of conversations. Mm. I think we should do this more with uh, with more people. Um, if, for the viewers out there, like if you have, it wouldn't be the worst thing for us to hear of. Like, do would you actually enjoy when we do thir- three person episodes versus? Uh, two-person episodes we've been having a little bit of an internal debate about like what's the right format or whether you know it's it's better to keep it at two people I, f- I feel like this is a little bit more conversational and a little bit more like our actual game dynamic when we have when we have three people on the pod i don't know if you, do, you guys have any thoughts on that but we'd like to hear from you at home yeah people can let us know i i always like the three person apps but maybe some people feel we aren't good enough at not talking over each other it's hard to say I do or, feel like I've interrupted, I'm not I've interrupted a lot, especially Paul, but now I just interrupted you. Matt. And also maybe people could let us know if, if they like the three person ones, but they don't want Paul to be one. Of right. Three. That, that is that's valid. <laughs> totally valid. Valid. It, it, it's literally a co-host elimination right here. I, I had to balance it out after saying how much I loved you and you saved my life this summer. So <laughs> I couldn't just like leave on that positive note. The balance oh, has no, been no, no, restored. That's... That's right. There, there we go. There we go. You have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, and Trey Olson. Thanks to Edamaros Peleg for our art. And thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know them as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. Bye.